Under the Hood <laughs> with Jonathan Hood. Let's get it. Tim crushes this ball. He throws the bat. The ball goes flying. It is gone. Under the Hood, behind the scenes, nobody really sees. Ball runs right in the air deep. Is it enough? It's gone. Ball game over. Hey, I'm hot. Jonathan Hood. I'm hot. Rubisky. Robinson. And Mack will take it all the way in for a touchdown. A lot of this is behind the scenes or under the hood. The mark in it. Oh! He didn't come for the massage. He came for the fight show. Oh, baby. Woo! Jonathan Hood. Oh, Put a body on that man. Please. Breaks the hole. Swift got running room. Swift got to go. 30, 20, 10, 5. Touchdown, Swift. Under the hood with Jonathan Hood. I'm the man. Nights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. And live from Chicago, this is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Open phone lines for you at 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776 is the telephone number. Hit me up on Snapchat, SnapJHood. You follow me on Snapchat. I will follow you back guaranteed. Also on Instagram, IGJHood. On the program tonight, we will hear from Jesse Rogers, who covers the Cubs for ESPN.com. We'll hear from him coming up at 810 as the Cubs get the job done against the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Also, we will hear from Ray Flores, our combat Sports expert. There was a big fight that took place over the weekend. Ray was there. He's going to break it down for us. We have a new heavyweight champion in the world, and he is of Mexican descent. First time ever. We love first time ever. It's on Under the Hood. So we'll talk to Ray about that coming up at 845. What does that mean for the heavyweight division? What does that mean for boxing? Also, we'll hear from Jim Margulis from Sox Machine. Again, it's SOX Machine. If you type in something else, you'll get something else. SOX Sox Machine. We'll hear from him when we talk about the White Sox coming up at 9-10 with Jim Margulis. Also in front of the program, Deion Thomas, one of the greatest high school and college basketball players in the history of this state, working with the Illini Sports Network as well as the Big Ten Network. We'll hear from Dion coming up at 935. And plenty of time for your phone calls as well, 312-332-ESPN. 332-3776 is our phone number. Hope that you enjoyed your weekend. Hope that you enjoy your Mondays. We're with you until 10 o'clock. This is Dan Lemitard and Stu Gatz right here on ESPN 1000 as we broadcast live from our first Midwest Bank Studio. How about the Cubs today? And how about the White Sox so far? We are going to talk about both right here. The Cubs, with their win today, they had to make up this game against the Los Angeles Angels, and they did in a big way, 8-1. to one. It's nothing like coming back home, right? Coming back to Wrigley Field, 40,000-plus in the building to see the Cubs beat up on the Angels 8-1. to one. A lot of home runs on a day where the wind wasn't even blowing out that much. It wasn't one of those wind-blown home runs for Baez and for Contreras. Now, what we saw is a lot of offense for this Cubs team. As you had Schwarber going 2-for-5, you had Baez going 2-for-4, you had Contreras, there's Hayward. You had a number of guys coming through. And, of course, you always have to have the elixir. The elixir to poor offense is to be able to have good starting pitching to keep you in ball games. That's exactly what we saw from John Lester. Seven innings strong. He's got his fourth win. 
four innings, seven innings, four hits, one run, one walk, and six strikeouts for Lester with the victory uh, as uh, the Cubs beat up on the Angels. You know, I, I know that there is this feeling of going up and down with this Cubs team, saying, what is this Cubs team? Are they a contender? Are they a pretender? I know that there's a lot of question marks about that from Cubs Nation. I will tell you that what I told you in April still holds strong here in June. And that is is that this is going to be a long season. Not necessarily a negative season, but a long season. Because after the Cubs really had a hard time trying to find themselves offensively, having a hard time trying to figure out who they are, ending up firing the, the hitting coach, Chili Davis, and making him the, gapes, the, the scapegoat of all this. What it really comes down to is that the team is talented enough to be able to get it done. And they have not been. It has been up and down. You take a look at the month of April. The Cubs were 14 and 10 in the month of April. In May, they were 16 and 12. It's a long season. But the things that stand out to me the most about the Cubs of the first couple of months, the on-base percentage was 338 in the month of April, a 246 batting average. In the month of May, the the OBP was uh, 341, and the batting average is 254. So not a lot of incremental change there. You go from 338 to 341 on-base percentage, you go from 246 to 254 in batting average, you say, well, what's going on? Well, as of late, you've seen the Cubs struggle, losing two out of three against the Reds, losing two out of three against Houston, getting swept by the Cardinals as of late. The Cubs lost eight of their last ten going into today's game against the Los Angeles Angels. It is a head-scratcher. It was a head-scratcher for me last year talking about this. It's a head-scratcher at this point in time that the somehow the Cubs, as talented as they are, from Schwarber to Bryant, to Rizzo, to Baez, to Contreras and Hayward, and up and down this lineup, including starting pitching, why is this team somewhat underachieving? Well, it's because, as I mentioned, it is not going to be this great juggernaut of a season. We haven't seen that since they won the World Series, quite frankly. Even last year, the team was good, but there's still, you saw 95 wins, but there was somewhat unimpressive those 95 wins because they fell short of their goal. A team that should have been the World Series last year, they underachieved because they continued to give one run and two runs and they could not hit. And so, as I mentioned, they had to have a scapegoat in all this and they found one. You look at the standings today and the Brewers are on top and they are just teeter-tottering at first place with the Cubs just one game behind and the Cardinals three games behind. The Pirates are right there as well, five games behind. It's an interesting race in the National League Central. But as I told you at the beginning, the Cubs should be able to vie for a division championship. And if not that, they should be able to be in the playoffs. Now, as far as how they, far they go in the playoffs, I don't know. But you would think that based on the roster, that it should be a fait accompli that, hey, you know what? This Cubs team is good enough to be able to get it done. I, 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 <laughs> While I've been away, I've been reading a lot about how some have looked at the Cubs, right? And I continue to see, I saw an article on the Athletic today about Craig Kimbrell. I know that we had a guest on a couple of weeks ago, and I'm talking about Craig Kimbrell and talking about, you know, the, the back end of the bullpen needing to be shored up by the end of the train deadline. The Cubs are not a Craig Kimbrell away from winning the World Series. The Cubs are have to be more of a consistent ball club offensively 
in order to consider them a World Series team. The, the Phillies are good, but they're not great. The Braves are young and not great. The Mets aren't that good. The Brewers are good, but they have not been able to just take off. You know who's great in the National League? It's the Los Angeles Dodgers. I've been watching a ton of their games. The Dodgers are a, a very fun uh, ball club. From a pitching standpoint, timely hitting, they are nine games ahead of the Rockies. It's kind of like when I was a kid and I would open up the newspaper and you would see uh, like a team in first place by 18 games ahead of everybody else by the time you get to the July 4th. You're like, oh. Guess guess the season's over. That's before the wild card. <laughs> like you, you would see, open up the paper, you see this the standings, you say, "Oh, I guess my team's not going to be in it." And I think the Dodgers are just that good in the uh, National League. There's no question about that. As we talk about the Cubs and the White Sox with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. So I look at the uh, the Chicago White Sox on that side of the things, and you know what, the White Sox. They were able to not only win, but they're winning at a very high level. The White Sox had a 6-1 homestand. Those White Sox. I looked at the numbers. Check out these numbers. Okay, Ready for this? The Chicago White Sox were 19-39. and 20 games under 500 this time last year. They're 29-30. and 30, And then and they're in the wild card hunt. Say that slowly. They're in the wild card hunt. Can you believe that? 29 and 30. Second team in that division. Now, I know that there is this feeling like, oh, you know, the, the White Sox are just on the precipice of maybe being able to take over atop the wild card and maybe be a, a team that's going to be a team to watch here. I, I will just kind of pour some cold water on this by saying this about the White Sox. The White Sox are playing good baseball right now. But if you are a diehard White Sox fan, you're seeing how things are going for this ball club. The thing that you want is consistency. Six and one in a homestand is really is really solid, there's no doubt. But I want to know who else is going to be able to step up to maintain the status for White Sox baseball. Like I'll give you an example of someone that can maintain it. Lucas Giolito is really a surprise to me. And when you are have been 20 games under 500 at this point in time this season, and you see Lucas Giolito, the guy led the American League in walks last year. And now he's a pitcher of the month, which is just amazing to me. Giolito continues to pitch well. And the Sox have won in his last seven starts. 2-0 with a 1.76 CRA. Three earned runs. I mean... The innings pitch has been terrific. Opponents hitting 154 against him. 19 strikeouts, one walk, a .59 whip. It's all good for Lucas Giolito. There's no doubt. Chuck Garfine, after the win yesterday that the, that the White Sox had, got a chance to talk to Giolito, and he's taking everything in stride. Wow. One of your last six starts, your bullpen just came through here. They were just giving you so much praise. 28 strikeouts, two walks, last three starts. No walks here today. Yeah. What's going on with you right now? <laughs> just feeling pretty good, Chuck. I mean, it's easy when you got the defense we had today. Uh, McCann back there, uh, brilliant as always. No, just getting in a good rhythm and letting it eat. Jason mentioned the primal scream that you gave a couple of times. We were just so f- fired up about the defense behind you. How about that catch that Ryan Cordell made to help this victory 
become reality. Outfield defense today was fantastic. Uh, Yonder scooping balls up left and right at first base. Um, yeah, I mean, this is what happens when we play clean baseball. We, we don't always need that big lead. You know, we, we, can shut guy, we can shut guys down, have quick innings. And, yeah, we finished this one pretty quick. So, Looking at the time of possession, really quickly, you guys go 6-1 and one in the homestand. You're playing great baseball. Safe to say you guys are turning the corner or have turned the corner with this rebuild. Absolutely. Yeah, we're here to win. We're here to play well. Um, you know, sh- we're coming out, playing baseball like we did this homestand. I think this is just the beginning for us. Um, coming out with a purpose every single day. We're learning from mistakes. We're, we're playing cleaner baseball. Yeah, it's just, just a matter of everything coming together. It's been pretty fun to watch and be a part of. Yes, great to watch it. You guys have been awesome. Yeah, appreciate Lucas it. Giolito. Lucas Giolito on NBC Sports Chicago as you're listening to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. So there's storylines on both sides of town. And when you're 46 like me and getting ready to start a family, one of the things that you're looking for is interesting when it comes to your sports. <laughs> That's all you want. You just want something interesting. You want something compelling to watch. And for me, I say this every year, and I will say this as long as I'm sitting in this chair. What I need is something interesting in the spring to lead me into Bourbon A. That's all I want. That's all I want. Give me something interesting to watch to lead me into Bourbon A. And for the Cubs and the White Sox, for them to at least be an interesting storyline, that's all I'm looking for. Because, again, nothing is guaranteed. You don't know whether or not either one of these teams are going to have a long playoff run. Well, definitely, you don't know. You don't think the Sox are going to, and you're not sure if the Cubs will. So what I need is something interesting to be able to get me to bear season. And then from there, whatever happens in August and September, October, that would be gravy. But I just need something to lead me into Bourbon A. And watching the the White Sox, as a White Sox fan, I will tell you that I am impressed because you're looking for some of the talent to be able to manifest. You're just not sure who first. And I told you always, you know, when it comes to these prospects, I know even here on Major League Baseball Draft Day, there are some that's going to be excited about the draft. You know, listen... As a Sox fan, I hear so much about young players, and, and so I'm, it's through my ears and in places I didn't even know I had places about young players. Okay, I've heard, I've heard enough about young players. Now it's, I want to see wins. I want to see some development. I want to be able to see teams get uh, this White Sox team get better. And so the juice on this team starts with Tim Anderson. It starts with Tim because Tim Anderson not only is just an exciting igniter for the White Sox, but also has become a household name around Major League Baseball, the bat flips, and also how he's been able to provide production for this White Sox team. I'll take it, right? The Sox needed something. And so Tim Anderson, for a guy that underachieved, I felt, the last couple of years, he's went through some personal things, he's got started himself a family, and now he talked to us before the season started. Baseball was not even number one on his on his radar. I think it's maybe three or four. I think that... His family and him wanting to have his brand. Baseball's in there somewhere in the team photo. It's like third or fourth. <laughs> but as long as he's been able to get it done, uh, I have no problem with that. You know, so, uh, you know, he's the igniter. But then from there, I look at a guy like Lori Garcia as of late. Uh, he's got a, a high BABIP. I've been seeing those numbers from him. I've seen Yomer Sanchez being able to play at a very high level. Colome is someone I know that will be possibly on the trading block by the time we get to the trade deadline. But Colomay's been a really solid player for this White Sox team. And James McCann. 
Kenny Can Can. James McCann, I'm wondering whether or not that he is going to be a leader, not just this year, but for the foreseeable future for this White Sox team. There's something to be said about catchers that are leaders of a team. I remember Carlson Fisk with the White Sox coming over for a trade from a free agency in 1981 comes over and instantly is the leader of that team coming from the Red Sox to the White Sox and becomes a leader for that White Sox team. I'm wondering if McCann's going to be that guy. McCann has talked about Giolito, by the way, and said that he's really a cocky guy on the mound. Back to the, the question about uh, you know the guys I've caught in the past. He's right up there with the confidence level of, of uh, those aces that, that I have seen. and um, That's how he feels of himself. You know? and that's, you got to have that as a, as a pitcher, as a hitter, whatever you are. you got to have that, um, that quiet arrogance about yourself. You, you never know from, from Giolito that, that you know, he's as cocky as he, as he is because he's a good guy and he, he's not going to you know, throw it in your face. But when he's on the mound, he's cocky. And he knows his stuff is good and he knows um, hey, it doesn't matter who's, who's in there. I, I know my stuff is going to beat him. I, I think that after John Lester, you can make a very great case about Lucas Giolito being the second hottest pitcher in Chicago. Uh, you know, never mind about the one loss record from Lester because he may not get the 18 wins he had last year, but he definitely will be in the team photo as having the most wins and having the most success on the mound of all the Chicago pitchers. Um, so I think that Giolito, and it's not very often that you see how the light just turns on for a pitcher, right? You don't get that very often. Like, he leads Major League Baseball in walks and then turns around and doesn't hardly walk anybody and pitches at a a very high level. So I just think that that, those are just positives for sure uh, for the White Sox. I mentioned Garcia and Yomer and Colomay and McCann. Even though, yes, they're in the wild card hunt as we speak here in June 3rd, I don't know if that is something that's going to last throughout the season, but at least it's interesting. And, a, and, a, and a, some great crowds over at Guaranteed Rate to see the White Sox. So at least it's something interesting, something compelling to watch. Just lead me to Bourbon A. That's all I'm looking for. How about this for an idea? The idea is about how to be able to speed up the game for Major League Baseball. This is something, and I'm going to warn you now, because I'm a sports talk radio listener just like you are, right? You're going to have a lot of conversation around the All-Star break about how to improve Major League Baseball. You're going to get a lot of that. You gotta, you, you'll got you get that in February, March, but you definitely get that around the All-Star break because hosts sometimes, not this one, but there are a lot of hosts that struggle to find content and try to find uh, talking points. And one of the talking points will be, you know, Yes, it's all-star break, but, you know, baseball could be a lot better. Well, you know, you and I have been talking about this for years together, right, about some improvements that baseball could make. Well, Joe Girardi, who should be the next White Sox manager, uh, who works for Major League Baseball Network, Joe Girardi was talking about pitchers and catchers. And here's a guy that was, was a catcher for a long time. And he believes that instead of the bound visit that – there should be technology involved. I was so paranoid as a manager, and I watched all the time the runner on second base. Yeah. And Chanhole Park had an interesting thing that he did, if I can stand up here. Sure, absolutely. So he would throw the pitch, right? He would throw the pitch, go like this, and then go, put a two up, second sign. Throw the pitch, catcher's looking, first sign. Right? And, it was, and no one ever saw it. But the, he was able to change the signs every pitch. That was one of the more clever things <laughs> that I saw happen. And um, But in today's game, there's so much TV. Hitters 
know basically what the combination of the signs that pitchers use before the game ever starts. And so you you got to do something to protect. I see college kids wearing earphones, and this has been my soapbox. I have a couple of them, right? And they say, well, I think the pitcher and the catcher should have a way to communicate through earphones somehow, right? And they say, well, guys don't want to wear earphones. When have you not seen a baseball player with earphones in? They're in their ears all the time. The only place they don't have them in is on the field because they don't let them wear them. Right. (laughs) <laughs> and so now maybe uh, the signs won't be stolen but for that. At least it's something different, right? It's Major League Baseball, though. The one thing Girardi's got to realize is that in Major League Baseball, they'll be the last to have that kind of technology. How long it took just to have instant replay? It is the I Love Lucy of sports for a reason. It's because they're always so far behind the times. I Love Lucy is great on me TV when you turn over and you say, oh, I know that episode. That's what Major League Baseball can be, is I Love Lucy. It's not the innovation of the National Football League. It's not the innovation of the, of, uh, the NBA or even the National Hockey League. It's always behind the times. So if, if there's going to be something that's new and from a technology standpoint, Major League Baseball will be last for it. That's no question. Don't forget, we'll talk about the NBA Finals coming up uh, after the bottom of the hour. I want to give my thoughts about what we've seen here because – the uh, Raptors and the Golden State Warriors tied at one. There's something about the Ra- there's something about the Golden State Warriors that you may not realize that we'll get to coming up uh, after uh, the bottom of the hour. Oh, by the way, oh by the way, I've been seeing this too. While I was uh, while I was away on vacation, I, I noticed that there was a lot of uh, tweeting uh, about this top 100 Bears of all time list, and you know I only got around to it. Sunday. <laughs> I only looked at because I've been seeing this. It's like, what's all the what's the hubbub about this whole uh, Bears list, right? Top 100 players in Bears history. So I looked at it, right? I go, okay, Peyton, Butkus, Nagurski, Luckman, Sayers, Ditka, Bill George, Bulldog Turner, Doug Atkins, Danny Fortman with two N's. And I saw that list and I said, wait a minute. There's no Brian Urlacher in the top 10? And I thought, well, this list is irrelevant. Wait a minute. Were people doing this for a week? I mean, after that, that's the end of the segment. I'm not internationally known, but I'm known to rock the microphone. Yo, J. Hood. Talk that barbershop talk, dude. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Curry bodied at half court. Curry with eight. Pass to Livingston. Out in the corner. Iguodala wide open three. Hits it. Uh, Six seconds left. Andre Iguodala with a game two dagger from the left corner. Right here on ESPN 1000, you heard the NBA Finals. You hear every game of the NBA Finals right here. On ESPN 1000, game number three will take place on Wednesday, so no show on Wednesday. But you do get your NBA Finals right here on ESPN 1000. Jonathan Hood with you here on this Monday. Glad that you're with us. Don't forget to hit me up on Snapchat. Hood also on Instagram, IGJHood. That's where you can find me. And uh, glad to have you aboard here on this Monday. Uh, yeah, so the NBA Finals. You know, um, it, it is... I, I watch the NBA a ton because not only do am I here doing Under the Hood weeknights with you, but also I do shows for NBA Radio and Sirius XM. So I try to keep my eyes on what's going on in the NBA because everything that goes on in the NBA does relate to the Bulls for me. Because you can see how teams and organizations do it right, and you see how teams and organizations underachieve and do it wrong. 
And so when I'm watching both of these teams, the Golden State Warriors and the Toronto Raptors, from Toronto's standpoint, you continue to hear a lot that Toronto and Milwaukee are the same. Is that Toronto and Milwaukee, when they went out against each other, is just one star in Kawhi Leonard and one star in Giannis Antetokounmpo and just one star in the others. And that's, that's, that's not necessarily true. It's not true. The Toronto Raptors are a good basketball team. It's actually it's the best team that we have seen from Toronto. During the DeRozan and Lowry years, those teams were good, but those teams underachieved. And when DeRozan was sent to San Antonio and you saw Kawhi Leonard go to Toronto, you saw the difference between a top 30 player in DeMar DeRozan and Kawhi Leonard and what he really brings to the table. And so I look at um, the Toronto Raptors as a team that, without question, the best team to try to do the job against Golden State, but yet they fall short against a Golden State Warriors team where I think that the prevailing opinion is that the Warriors are a team that just shoots threes. And they just shoot threes all the time, and that's how they're able to shoot their way to championships. And if you're watching the Warriors, that's not who they are. When you take a look at the top 16 teams that were in the NBA playoffs this year, you know where the Warriors were from three-point range? They were eighth out of 16 teams. The, the prevailing theme and wisdom for some is that, well, you know, the Warriors are just like Houston. No, they're not like Houston. Houston's like Houston, and Milwaukee's like Houston. Milwaukee and Houston are the same team. You want to talk about the same? Both of those teams like to shoot threes and layups because they believe those are the high-percentage shots. They're the most, and they are high-percentage shots, there's no doubt. But if you're not hitting those on a regular basis, man, sometimes those shots run dry. Your shot's dry. And their shots were dry. And the team that is standing tall representing the Western Conference, the Golden State Warriors, the Warriors know how to win. I'm sure you've heard that today. But when you take a deep dive at what the Warriors are, from Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala, DeMarcus Cousins, Steph Curry, and Klay Thompson, those five can scare a lot of teams. Those five, you look at those teams and those players in that team, and you say, man, it'll be hard to stop a guy that can average 20, 25 points a game, and Boogie Cousins. Steph Curry, who can shoot it from the moon. Clay Thompson, who can shoot it from the moon. Draymond Green, who is a terrific defender and also can get his and give you a double-double or triple-double every night if you wanted to. And the veteran presence of Andre Iguodala. You think on the surface that's tough enough. Keep in mind, I didn't mention Kevin Durant in that scenario at all. At that five I just gave you, that five is strong enough. And then you have role players. And the thing that resonates with me the most today is not Draymond Green. It's not Klay Thompson. It's not Steph Curry. What resonates with me the most, guys, is the others, the role players. When we were talking about the Bulls championships, and of course all the focus is on Michael Jordan, rightfully so, Scottie Pippen, those starters. But the bench guys also had... The bench mob, they also were very good in their roles. If you're able to get the most out of role players, 
man, your starters will be able to get to do what they're going to do. But and by the way, if the starters do fall short and you have role players that are, do the best and produce the most at their role, and you can step in and you can give them extra time, man, you've got a complete team. And this is the reason why the Golden State continues to stand tall is because they are a complete team. The quality depth of Golden State, once again, is on full display. So we talk about the NBA Finals with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Quinn Cook, Livingston, Bogut, McKinney all had meaningful minutes while the rest of the MASH unit managed to try to help Golden State win the ball game. That really was a storyline. Yes, it, it was Andre Iguodala hitting that last-second shot to push the Warriors over the top. But there was the others that were holding things up, like Steph Curry's not 100%. Steph Curry knocked down three threes, three out of ten from three-point range, had 23 points. Clay Thompson had 25 points. You see him, he had to lead the game because of injury. But it's about a complete team. And just to bottom line that for you, you got to get it if you are general manager. Yes, you're looking for star players. Yes, you're looking for, for productive players. But the other thing that you're looking for is role players that accept their roles and are able to do what they need to do when you break glass. If you need them for emergency, they can give you what you're looking for. Like Sean Livingston gave 16 hard minutes and six points. All right. Cook comes through with 21 minutes and nine points. It may not be important on the box score, but role players are important. So, so the idea that the Warriors are just shooting their way to three-point rate, that's not what it is. In game two of the Warriors, the Warriors assisted on all 22 of their field goals made in the second half. Passing the basketball and making others better. You saw a different Warriors team in the second half than you saw in the first half. Second half, you saw their attention to detail defensively. It threw the Toronto Raptors off. That's exactly what happened. Uh, so some thoughts from Steve Kerr. Kerr was talking about the injuries to not only Clay Thompson, but also Kevon Looney. Clay said he'll be fine, but Clay could be half dead, and he'd say he'd be fine. <laughs> so, uh, he's, uh, we'll see. You know, he pulled his hamstring. He thinks it's minor, so I don't know what that means going forward. And Loon, uh, something with his shoulder, and so we'll see. We had really had a tough time scoring. So the, the last, whatever it was, four, five, six minutes, the game loosened up, and and we finally broke free and started you know, getting some uh, some buckets. We started to look like ourselves. And so at that point, it just felt better. And then, you know, the second half, we we got it rolling. And, you know, we ended up with 34 assists, which is, you know, more like our team. So it was, uh, you know, it was a great win. Um, now we got to go home and, and protect our home floor. And we'll see about all the injuries. Some thoughts there from former Bull and head coach for the Golden State Warriors, Steve Kerr. Okay, I'm going to stand up for my generation right now. I got to do it. I got to do it, guys. I got to stand up for Gen X. Here's why I got to stand up for Gen X right now. And make sure you, you know, make sure you record this because you don't hear me go here very often. But I just have to say it. Kawhi Leonard is a terrific player. Kawhi Leonard is not 100%. Who is 100%, I guess, at this point in the season, right? It's, it's June 3rd. Who is 100%? Kawhi Leonard, 34 points, 16 for 16 from the foul line, hit two threes. He had 14 points. He had a double-double last night. Can I tell you something? A lot of these players from Clay Thompson, the hamstring, that's going to happen, right? But Kevin Durant and... Leonard and uh, 
Kyle Lowry, some of these guys are kind of limping around out there. I mean, they're playing, but you can see they're not full. They're not running at full strength. You see a lot of half court offense for a reason. A lot of guys resting out there. A lot of guys breathing heavy. Can I tell you something? Kawhi Leonard, for him to have twenty two, not fifteen, not ten, for him to have twenty two of these load management games in which he didn't play. That wouldn't happen back in my day. <laughs> just saying, I gotta say it because if no one's, if no, if I don't say it, who's gonna say it? Seriously, I hate to be '90s basketball guy, but damn it, for him to have 22 load management games and he <laughs> and can't and can't breathe out there, it's not saying that he's not getting it done. I'm just saying that there is a lot of guys taking plays off. And needing, like, it's just like me needing to be able to put my arm against the wall after just walking a few blocks. I mean, you, you can't be me out there. You got to be able to play. Come on, man. Come on. I know that they're giving their full effort. I hate to be 90s basketball guy, but this is, this is ridiculous. Some of these guys have had, and I'm, I counted 22 load management games. Those are those games where you don't play, like you're not playing back-to-backs or you're taking a few games off here and there because you want to get prepared for the playoffs, quote-unquote, right? What in the hell is this? These guys are taking plays off. You're watching the game. It's like these guys are hiding on offense. It's like, don't throw the ball to me this time. No. Get foul. Foul. <laughs> Just so I can rest at the foul line. Man, come on. And not to say that players in the 90s and early 2000s weren't tired, but you know what? They didn't show it because guess what? Their coaches made sure that those games were important in January and February like they are in June, May and June. Are you serious right now? Come on. 22 load management games in Kawhi Leonard. Again, hats off to him, but he's clearly not 100%. You see him out there. And you got a number of these guys at these Knicks these injuries here and there, they're trying to get themselves through. But, man, my whole point of this is I just think that the low management thing is just is just made up. I think it is. You ask any athlete, you ask Kendall Gill, not too long. Like, the thing that athletes want to do is they want to be able to have muscle memory to continue to play because that's what they do. You have all the, the entire offseason. And these guys are – and it's not the – hard schedule that it once was in the Stern administration when Stern was the commissioner, you know, four and five nights and all this other stuff. Like you could see that the new commissioner, Adam Silver is trying to spread out the schedule a little bit more, but these load management games, when you're getting up to the 15 and twenties, which are load management and not playing is crazy. And I'm here to tell you as nineties basketball guy that that didn't happen. You played in February when those games were meaningless. You played in March. While March Madness was going on, you played in front of a half a house as an NBA player. And, you know, everyone else is watching March Madness. You're not, you're still playing 40 minutes on some of these teams because it's a different era. Now this era of, of being able to just, just chill, like, nah, I'm not even hurt. I'm just it's low management. Why? You can, you, you can manage load management by shortening the minutes. You can do that. You can do what Alvin Gentry did for to Anthony Davis on purpose, like, no, man, you only play in 20 minutes. And because our bench guys need to be able to get into the rotation, they got to be able to get the feel of the game. If you don't feel those games are important, you put your bench guys out there, that's fine. But starters want to play. 
Guys want to play. The idea that you're just sitting out because, well, we got rest for the playoffs, and you get to the playoffs, and these guys are, are, are breathing heavy, it's crazy. Well, now, like, DeMarcus Cousins would have wanted to play every game, but he was injured. And he gave the best effort as a guy that is coming back from injury. He, did the, he was terrific yesterday. Game one, working out the kinks. Game two, one of the keys to the game yesterday. But he would have wanted to play. So the one time, just grant me being 90s basketball guy, just for a second, usually I'll push that to the side because I, I am with the time. I'm, not, I'm never going to be the broadcaster that's going to tell you about back in my day for, for three hours a night. I don't do that. But I will do it now because that doesn't make any sense to me. Seriously, man. Load management. Hey, first of all, it, that part of it is ridiculous. But secondly, if you do have load management, I want you to be able to play every game. And you might have an owie, you might have a little ouchie here and there, but my God, man, you got to play and play hard. Some of these guys are not. I just noticed this. This is what happens watching the NBA. You see what's going on now. It's like, no, you know, we got to limit this guy's minutes. Uh, you know, you got to let him sit out. No, 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 no. 22 games? It's crazy. You can handle these guys with kid gloves, but you're looking for production on the other end. You want to make sure guys are ready. All right, you know, we've got to find out who are the pettiest in the sports weekend. Some try to find the funniest thing in the sports weekend. Some try to find the craziest story in the sports weekend. We are here for the petty. It's actually one subject that is the most pettiest in sports. I think you know what it is. If you don't, stay tuned. I tried to show You're listening to my mans in them. Jay Hood. Yeah. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. I tried to show And the ESPN app. Yeah, gone on you with the pick and roll. Younger flame here in sickle mode. Petticoat. Petticoat. It's time to get petty. Oh, we did a good job executing. Are you upset with something? And fire up the Petticoat Junction train. I just don't like you. You don't? No. What is today's petty historic? Petty Junction with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Some will look for the strangest story of the sports weekend. Some will look for the funniest story of the sports weekend. We, on Under the Hood, every Monday, or when it's uh, available, we give you the pettiest story of the sports weekend because there's a ton of petty in our world, as you well know. Just turn on your phone. You'll see petty. It might be a text message. It might be a story. You'll always find petty, and that's why we're here to search for the pettiest stories of the sports weekend. It's Petty Junction. We put the pettiest people on the petty train, and we send them off. I'm just being petty. Petticoat Junction. We get rid of the petty in our life, and we decide to put them on the petty train. So it is Petty Junction with me, Jonathan Hood, on ESPN 1000, the ESPN app. So as a staff... With uh, Felix and Sean, we have decided that there's only one sports figure, if you want to call him that, that uh, deserves to have the distinction of being the pettiest of the sports weekend, of the sports year at this point in time. Uh, we'll do that at the end of the year, the, the pettiest of the sports year. Right now, the leader in the clubhouse is Drake. 
And there's no question about that. Um, and I don't mind his fandom, but there is always something underlying with him. There's always something more under the under the surface with him. And so, Felix, if it's Drake, what is the pettiest thing Drake has done? I would say now during the NBA Finals, my petty story comes from actually yesterday's game, game two. And it was Drake throwing shade at Kevin Durant with a Macaulay Culkin Kevin sweater from Home Alone. So it was reference to the Home Alone movie when Kevin, when uh, Macaulay Culkin's mom is screaming out Kevin looking for him. So that is Drake's game two petty story for sure. Okay. Well, my, my petty story is just the idea that you're wearing Dale Curry's Toronto Raptors jersey. I mean, just like, yes, I remember Dell when he was with Toronto, and he's just doing it just to not only troll the Curry family, because um, Dell goes to all the games, clearly, because he's following his son, but Dell's wife doing it to Steph, doing it to Aisha Curry by wearing the uh, Dell Curry jersey when he was with the Toronto Raptors. That, and signed, and, too. And signed, too. <laughs> and that, that's even, on, again, more petty there, for sure. Petticoat Junction. Put him on the petty train. Give him, Petticoat it, Junction. Give him two, two trips on, on the train. Sean, what's the... What else is petty about Drake? Well, you thought Drake would learn his lesson messing with fiancés when he took that L in the battle from Pusha T. Oh. But he's back at it again. Oh. After the game one win, he went on. And, and then he got into it with Draymond after game one, called him trash, <sighs> and proceeded to follow the mother of his child and fiancé, Hazel Renee, on Instagram. And then the same night, he liked pictures of Aisha Curry. <laughs> he, he's just overboard. Hasn't learned his lesson. Well... I guess in that one thing with uh, Aisha Curry, you could say that, well, Aisha's getting what she wants. <laughs> Petticoat Junction. I mean, listen. <laughs> We're about to turn to red table talk here with Jonathan Hood. <laughs> I'm just saying. Like she, she says she wants more attention from men. Petticoat I mean, Junction. I know, that's petty. You should be thankful for our blessings, right? I guess so. I mean, look, it's like, oh, <laughs> so a man does like me. I guess I am attractive. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes, you are attractive. That's, that, that story there when that came out, just like, it, that's just the most bizarre story because that's when you know it's a lie. Like, if you even have your, your notifications on on your Instagram, there are dudes that are trying it. They are shooting their shot, if you pardon the expression. Definitely shooting their shot with Aisha Curry. Like, no, no man want to talk to me. Is something wrong with me? No, nothing wrong with you. No, nothing wrong with you. So let's put that on the poll at ESPN 1000. Uh, should you shoot your shot with Aisha Curry? No, that's not the, oh, that's not the question. Should you shoot your shot? No? No, oh, no, no. Okay, the question, oh, yes. The Petty Junction, yes. Put those three options out there and see how it comes back for our Petty Junction. Actually, I think that the other story is pretty interesting, though. But I think, would you shoot your shower? That would be fighting words, though. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. I, I would, uh, I, I, you know. So put that up there at ESP 1000 on Twitter. All right, coming up next. Uh, so I understand you can gamble now in the state of Illinois. What does that mean? We'll discuss it next. From your hood to J-hood. On ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. 